the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. If thy presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Well, we'll have more on that amazing statement from Moses a little later. But firstly, I just want to say, haven't we had some wonderful gatherings already in this, uh, this year and in this series? Hasn't there been some wonderful messages? And I really recommend you uh, listen to the, the podcasts. They're really well worthwhile. So today, as we continue in the book of 1 Samuel, we come to chapter 4 where the, you know, the application or, or theme of dedication is perhaps a little harder to grasp. And what starts out in the story in, in 1 Samuel 4 as a sort of a, a major setback for, for Israel you'd think would normally uh, set the scene for a great victory or at least a good comeback uh, story uh, and a happy ending for God's people. But... To everyone's horror, things go from bad to worse. Has anyone ever felt like that has happened to you? Things have gone from bad to worse. It's going to be kind of a little bit of a theme running through this message and what to do about that. Yeah, so an initial hard time sometimes leads us to, uh, to come up with a new plan or perhaps a good idea. For our lives, and um, and we find that this new plan leads to a far worse position than we were in to start with. And in those times, you gotta you gotta wonder, God, where are you? Or where were you when it when it when it seemed I needed you the most? And why didn't you bless this new plan? Why didn't you bless this thing I did? Often we, we wait till we've done our thing and then we ask God why he didn't bless it, you know. So on the face of it, all the ingredients for success were there in the story, but it would seem that God was just not in it. Years ago, uh, my brother and I witnessed a drama unfolding at the Raglan Wharf boat ramp. It's a tricky ramp. Some of you might have been there, a lot of you might have been there, but it's a tricky ramp due to the uh, normally badly parked vehicles and cars and boat trailers. Uh, There's general congestion all around that area. Uh, There's a steep incline on the boat ramp. There's slippery rocks where the concrete runs out and a deep channel at low tide and numerous fishing lines overhead from the wharf populated by a very frustrated non-boaty audience. <laughs> and anyway, this uh, event started out, it all, all began with a very grumpy husband swearing instructions of how to back a trailer to his wife. Not a good way to start. <laughs> His wife was doing her best, you know, to get the trailer somewhere near the water. And and so this this man was sort of holding the boat, yelling instructions, and it was just going from bad to worse, you know. So uh, after many attempts um, of her getting the, the trailer lined up, he decided to unhitch the trailer, 
to save the car getting stuck and he tied a rope on the trailer and he allowed the trailer to go back, hopefully underneath the boat. But the back, the, the wheels of the trailer suddenly found the deep channel and disappeared out of sight. At which point, you know, he got even more grumpy. So he yells at his wife to, to rev the car and to drive forward and the rope tightened and up from the deep comes the, the trailer on a rope and spikes the boat right through the floorboards. <laughs> so the pipes on the trailer speared the wooden boat and uh, at which point it listed slightly to one side and then sank out of sight altogether. Meanwhile, those of us who were watching really had nothing we could do except full-on commitment and dive in. You know, there was no, no, no thing we could really do. I feel bad about it now, but it was really quite funny. Uh, <laughs> if only he had stopped long enough to, to think things through and maybe to get help a little bit earlier, things could have been different. You know, can anyone identify with this guy? Can anyone identify with the wife, the, the brunt of the situation, bearing the brunt of his anger? Well, well, the people of Israel could certainly identify with things going from bad to worse in 1 Samuel 4, verses 1 to 11. So let's, let's turn there if you've got your Bibles, and we'll discover what went so terribly wrong for Israel. Thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Verse 1. Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines. These are, these are enemies of Israel that have been annoying for a long, long time. They meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer, while the Philistines camped in Aphek. And the Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. That's just the bad bit. It's worse. When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let's take to ourselves from Shiloh the ark of the covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, and from there they carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who sits above the cherubim, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, who we've mentioned before in one of the earlier messages, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And it happened in the Ark of the co that as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, that all Israel shouted, with a great shout, woo, so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does this noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp, and the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has ever happened before. Woe to us, who shall deliver us from the hands of these mighty gods? They were sort of relaying their experience onto Israel, using God 
gods, plural. These are the gods who smote Egyptians with all kinds of plagues in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. Not a bad decision to make when faced with all their problems. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. And every man fled to his tent and the slaughter was very great. For there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Went from bad to worse. To really bad, didn't it? And the ark of God was taken and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. And we're just going to leave the story there for a moment because I want to explain that the Ark of the Covenant was like a box covered with gold containing the two tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. And it had loops on the side, as you can see in the slide, for poles to go through for those rare times when they were going to move it because no one was to touch this ark, this box. It was a sacred, what we'd perhaps call in our culture, a sacred taonga, because the Lord had blessed it with his presence. This ark of the covenant was a physical sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit, but it in itself was not the Holy Spirit. It was to be treated with great respect because it was a symbol of the presence, a physical presence of the Holy Spirit. And it was, it was really his presence with them, surrounded by a thick curtain called the Holy of Holies. To aid people in worship like we've done this morning, to worship the living, holy God in the holy place. And there were even rules around who and when and how this worship was to take place. So when the elders suggested that they take the ark from its holy of holy places into battle, the people rejoiced so much that the ground shook. Isn't that amazing? They thought that by simply taking along this magical box, it would automatically win them victory. It did not. Why? I, I believe it's because their faith was not in the living God, but in a symbol of the presence of God. Their faith was in their faith, not in God. It's like worshipping worship. We're meant to worship God, not the means of worshipping him. Jesus said, have faith in God. You know, it's much easier to have faith in other people's faith, isn't it, sometimes? Especially if they're you know, famous or they've got a you know, faith-based ministry. Or we can have faith in faith, in our own faith. And sometimes even faith in a formula or a trendy new technique or a new book or some way of getting people saved and healed that we've just heard about. 
We can have faith in these things and not in the Lord God. So perhaps the elders' faith was relying on Numbers 10.35 for you note-takers. If you write that down, it's a good verse, where Moses said, As the Ark of the Covenant uh, set out, Rise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. It's a good prayer, isn't it? Rise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered. And perhaps they were thinking they'd apply that to this situation, that the enemies would just be scattered. But remember Jesus said, have faith in God. The elders didn't even consult the Lord. According to Scripture, there's no mention of prayer or waiting on the Lord's presence in verse 3 and 4 or between verses and 3 and 4. How often do we rush things along without first dousing our major decisions in prayer? I know I do. Even dart prayers work, as Ivy mentioned, but they didn't even pray at all. The Lord did not bless this battle or go with them. His presence was with Moses. Because Moses took everything to God in prayer. Moses had spent 40 years in a wilderness place, learning to trust and rely on the Lord. Seems like you can take the boy out of the palace, and you can take the palace out of the boy with enough time and suffering. But the people of Israel, they really were still slaves in their, in their mentality. They still had slave mentality. You do this, you get that. And they were just saying, look, let's take the ark with us. You know? They didn't pray. And they had to be taught new ways of thinking and trusting that God would come through. You know, they were relying on Moses' anointing, really, by simply taking the symbol of God's presence with them, not his spirit, not his actual Holy Spirit. You know, Moses had paid a high price for his anointing. You would never wish for certain people's anointing if you knew the price they had paid in terms of sufferings and trials. You see, the elders wanted a quick solution to a long-term problem. These Philistines, they were a pain in their side. You know, they thought, you know, if you just do this, you'll get that, like, we've always done this, we'll always get that. That's that thinking. Except this time, they didn't get that. They died. If we ignore God's presence for long enough, we will die spiritually too. It may not happen overnight, but eventually we will dry up inside. If we neglect worship, we neglect the presence of God coming into that holy of holies. So what can we take away from this portion of Scripture? I've got a few things here from this portion of Scripture we can learn from. Number one, we need to repent of the times we have rushed ahead of God, simply relying on past experiences or on our head knowledge, only to work things, you know, out just our way. 
Repent of any known sin before we tackle an enemy. You know, when the guy said he, he stood in front of this giant of unbelief, he took up the sword of the Spirit and faith. You know, but we need to repent and have no sin before we take on that, that giant. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the last people who should have been anywhere near the Ark of the Covenant. They were sinful, unrepentant, and perhaps the biggest reason God did not bless this mission. You know, sometimes we just need to swallow our pride and call on the Lord and others for help, like our friend at the boat ramp. We should have got some help. And we also need to go and repent of the sin of unbelief. It is a giant that we can tackle with faith. When things go bad, it's easy to allow unbelief to creep in, resulting in the enemy putting the boot in. You know, when we're down, he doesn't say, oh, sorry, you're having a bit of a hard time. He puts the boot in. At that point, we really need to arrest the spirit of unbelief and send it packing. Hebrews 11, sorry, Hebrews 3, 11 says, they shall not enter my rest because of unbelief. Take care lest you have an evil, unbelieving heart. Hebrews 3.11 See, when things are bad for us, it's really easy to also attract a victim mentality. And then we attract around us others who have the same mentality. And we need to repent for our part. Yes, we probably were sinned against. Yes, we have received offenses, but we have to repent for our part of the original offense. Also, things go from bad to worse when we harbor or cultivate um, victim mentality. Don't let things go from bad to worse. Number two, dedicate. I like it when it gets onto this bit. Dedicate or rededicate ourselves. That is the theme for our month. Dedication. We need to dedicate or rededicate ourselves to seeking God's still small voice. Someone just spoke to me about that this morning. Spend time in his presence daily. And enter into worship, that holy of holies, with expectation and joy. You know, share your struggles and your joys with the Lord. He loves and he craves relationship. He can handle being real. He can handle us getting a bit mad at times. He would prefer you to get angry and emotional with him rather than just be silent. Suffer in silence. You know, next, we need to share those highs and lows with other believers. Our gatherings here begin when we arrive, and they end when we lock the door. The talk time over the cuppa is just as important as the bit in the middle. Share your life. Share your probs. Let's pray for one another in that time. Let's turn worries, like Jenny said, and niggles into prayer. There's prayer in confession and testimony. It says in, in Revelation, you know, 
the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and loving not our life unto death. You know, spending time in the Holy of Holies equips us to do battle in the spiritual. And along with our prayer, along with that, prayer, fasting, fasting, sorry, the covering of the blood of Jesus and our testimony, these, these are the things. These are our weapons, folks, friends. These are our weapons. Spending time in his presence, knowing how to overcome the world. You know, William Booth, the co-founder of the Salvation Army, along with his wife Catherine, used to only send two people to new outstations. They were called marching orders. And uh, they would set up a new church or a fellowship somewhere in a smaller place. He'd only send two and uh, said, you know, if you can't change a whole town, there's something wrong. <laughs> when one of his deputies uh, complained that he needed more people and more resources, William Booth posted, posted him a pair of trousers with both knees worn out. And he sent a note with them saying, when your trousers look like these from praying, we'll consider more folk joining you. <laughs> You know, I once heard a speaker say, and he had a church of about two or 3,000 people, I heard a conference speaker say, there's never enough time, there's never enough money, and there's never enough people to do the things you want. Just get over it. <laughs> use who you've got. Make good use of what you've got, and maybe God will give you more. Pray. Pray like the guy with the worn-out trousers before you ask for more. Number three, beware of the crowd. You know, Jesus spoke to crowds of people um, wanting a piece of him, but he didn't trust crowds. He knew men's hearts. He knew they could turn against him just as, as easily as they were turning to him. And, you know, the crowd was excited in um, 1 Samuel 4. The crowd was so excited to have the ark go with them that they made the ground shake. Without consulting the Lord, they just thought, what a great idea. Sadly, it cost them their lives. You know, it's easy to get our direction from the crowd or from the latest trendy new thing. But history has proved that the crowd is not always right at times. This is different to checking things out with the people you love and having, you know, an eldership. The crowd is not always right at times. God-honoring people need to stand up against the crowd at times. I just got a book for Christmas, and the title is just simply Bonhoeffer. And it's the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor who stood up against Hitler. He was executed just weeks before the war ended for his alleged part in Hitler's assassination. He was a godly man who knew the Lord and it cost him his life. A young man engaged to be married. I'm sure you're going to hear a lot more Bonhoeffer stories as I wade my way through this thick book. 
<laughs> Finally, let's, let's just test every spirit. Uh, when things go from bad to worse, you know, the result of rushing ahead cost Israel 30,000 foot soldiers, it says, in one day, including Eli's two evil sons, Hophni and Phinehas. When news of this reached Eli, who was waiting eagerly at the town gate to hear news of the battle, but mainly because of his concern for the Ark of the Covenant, he fell backwards and died when the news hit. When he heard that the Ark had been taken and that his sons were dead. We read that in verse 19. The same day, that same day, Phineas's wife, who was about to give birth, went into labor at the news that the ark had been taken and that her father-in-law and her husband were now dead. Grieving, she had the baby. As she was dying from this ordeal, the woman with her tried to console her by saying, It's a boy. But the heaviness of her heart and spirit led her to say, call him Ichabod. Ichabod literally means glory gone. The glory's gone. In her deep despair, she spoke doom and gloom over the child and over Israel. You know, it's easy to speak negativity when things go from bad to worse. She passed away. Hopelessness is a faith killer. God was not done with Israel. Their greatest time to shine, in fact, was still to come. Let's be careful not to call things with great potential Ichabod. She did not test the spirits. Let's be careful to just speak life into things that we might think are dead. And just because of a temporary setback, let's not say the glory has gone. I just want to conclude by saying let's agree with Moses and saying if thy presence does not go with us, let's not go up from here. Let's have faith in God and not in people or, or our own ability. You know, God makes, faith in God makes problems and temporary trials seem smaller, as Jenny said, and avoids things going from bad to worse. Amen. Lord, this is a difficult part of Scripture to understand, but Lord, when we see how you were moving in that time and uh, steering things perhaps even cleansing Israel, Lord, for better times ahead. We just pray that we would take, take heart and, Lord, just know you are always looking to cleanse and, and, and set us free and take away that slave mentality and that victim mentality, Lord, and just to set us on a new path to see you in the good, good things ahead the potential, the things you're wanting to do in and through our lives. I just pray for lives here this morning to be transformed as, 
Aaron prayed, that we'd be transformed into people who worship in that inner sanctuary, that that holy of holies who spend time in your presence and leave having faith in God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope 